Well, good morning, everybody. It is so good to be with you here today. For those of you I haven't met yet, my name is Russ Walker, and I am the campus pastor at One Chapel Lake Travis. We've been doing a series around here that we're calling What's After ATX? And it's part of a citywide campaign that churches all over our Austin region are participating in. And kind of this conversation of what's after our lives. After these bodies of ours finally give out, what's going to happen? And so we're just adding our voices to that. And so I want to do that as well here today and just kind of add my voice to the conversation. And the first thing I want to do is I want to show you a picture. This right here is a picture of my daughter Madison and her husband Eric. They got married back on April 25th, right in the middle of COVID-19, that pandemic that blew up, obviously, that we're still in, and this whole shelter-in-place mandate that just went wild. And so their wedding was absolutely nothing like what they had planned and things we had purchased, all the money that we had invested in it, so much of their hopes and dreams for their wedding and what they had put together, we just could not make happen because of all of those restrictions. And my daughter Madison is a nurse um, right there at the border of Nebraska and South Dakota. And so she couldn't even leave the state. And so we had to move everything to South Dakota and only nine of us were able to go there. But in what we thought was going to be a dud of a day and a dud of a wedding, God did what only he could do. We ended up renting a large house in Spearfish, South Dakota, to try to make this day special for Madison and Eric. And the only criteria that we were looking for is that this house had to be large and look great and have a grand staircase because Eric wanted Madison to be able to wear her wedding dress for that day, even though nothing else was going to happen we wanted her to be able to wear a wedding dress. And so all we could imagine was just her coming down that staircase and us taking pictures of that moment. But when we got actually to the house, I want to let you look at this picture because this is what was in the backyard of this house. It's the beautiful Black Hills um, right there in South Dakota. This was the backdrop of this house. We had only seen pictures from the front of the house and inside the house. We had no idea really where this house was, but the Black Hills was what was behind this house. And so immediately we thought, we've got to do an actual wedding ceremony outside in these beautiful, these beautiful mountains. Here's a, a picture of all of us who were able to attend the 11 of us with Madison and Eric, and this forever will be an iconic picture of that moment in time, um, something that will stand forever of a crazy season in this world. Here's another picture. This one's just kind of a, a fun picture that we did, but you can kind of see um, the Black Hills, and we were just having fun. It ended up being a great day. And let me just show you one more picture, because I want you to look at this just a little bit. Because as beautiful as my daughter is and as magnificent as the scenery is that's surrounding her, think about this, because this is only a two-dimensional picture. All I can show you of that day is this flat, lifeless 2D picture. This picture doesn't even come close to showing you how beautiful and absolutely spectacular that day was. I want you to think about that because just as this 2D picture is to all of my experiences on April 25th, 2020 in Spearfish, South Dakota, 
so is the beauty and the wonder of earth to heaven. I mean, all the incredible things that we see and experience here on earth, all the love and life that we have here on earth, all the words that the Bible uses to describe heaven and actually everything that I'm even going to share with you here today about heaven, all of that is only a flap, black and white, 2D representation of the real multi-dimensional beauty and love and life experiences that are to come in heaven. So I think what the Bible has always told us and probably what we fail to study and understand, probably even fail to really imagine, is that heaven is going to be more beautiful, more alive, more exciting, more real, more amazing than anything you've ever seen or done here on earth. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking into this issue of eternity because the reality is I think that so many of us are wanting to know what happens to us when we die. I mean, is there really a God? Is there a heaven? And if so, does heaven really have a plan for me? It's a huge topic in our culture today. All you have to do is scan the songs that are out there, the books that are out there, the movies that are out there, the cable channels that are all out there, and you'll find this heightened curiosity of the afterlife and spirits and near-death experiences in heaven. And I think with all this COVID-19 pandemic, death has just become a huge topic in most of our homes. And so over the last couple of weeks, what we've been doing is that we're looking at different people's near-death experiences. Because even though you can't create theology from these near-death experiences, you can see how they point to something that is beyond this life. And so from the very beginning of the series, we said that if you're skeptical about all of this, if you don't really know whether there's an afterlife or if heaven exists or even God exists, you know, our hope is that you'll continue to tune in each week and be a part of these services as we're trying to share and to show you a whole bunch of evidence really pointing to the probability of heaven. And if you're a Christian, it's our hope as well that you'll tune in each week to these services because we want you to be reminded how real heaven is so you can get more and more motivated to live for that day. Now, as we mentioned at the beginning of the series, I know some of you, you're going to be skeptical. You're going to be skeptical that there's even an afterlife, even after we're giving you a bunch of evidence from doctors and professors and commercial airline pilots and pastors as well. But because how in the world can there be this invisible place called heaven? But here's the irony of all of this. And I want you to think about this, especially if you're skeptical. Because heaven is often rebuffed and rebuked in the name of science. But yet today, science is pointing towards heaven's probability more and more and more and more. In physics, the Kaluza-Klein theory is a unified field theory of gravitation and electromagnetism built around the idea of an unseen fifth dimension. In the book, The Elegant Universe, Brian Greene discusses how quantum mechanics and general relativity, they only reconcile if there are six more hidden dimensions to our universe. And so if there has to be an unseen reality to make our to make sense of our scientific observations, then why in the world can't we conceive of a heaven existing in a higher dimension of space that we can't see? Cambridge and Princeton physicist James Jeans, he wrote this. He said, the stream of knowledge is heading toward a non-mechanical reality. The universe begins to look more like a great thought than like a machine. I just find that so interesting. 
And that's why looking at these stories of people who've had these near-death experiences is actually a worthwhile study because more and more and more, like I said before, science is pointing towards the probability of heaven's reality. Now, people who've had these near-death experiences, many of them describe first being shocked at how alive and how good they feel they don't actually realize that they're dead because they still have a body. That This body has all these heightened senses but then after looking and observing their lifeless body on earth, many of them describe moving at great speed down a tunnel or down a path or a pathway that seems to take them to another world. Some feel like it's a path through outer space in a, in a hidden dimension. Dr. Mary Neal, who we saw in an interview last week and who had a near-death experience after dying in a kayak accident, she described it as a pathway of great beauty. And so even though this pathway is definitely unique for each individual, the consistency for those who've had these near-death experiences is that it's a pathway that leads to a world of exquisite beauty. The Apostle Paul, who I believe could have had a near-death experience when he was stoned to death and left for dead, he had a vision of heaven. He talks about it in his letters. And he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. He says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. But it was to us that God revealed these things by his spirit. Listen, everybody, heaven is so much better than you can ever even imagine. But I want you to notice what the Apostle Paul is describing here because he says that God has actually revealed these things already to us by his spirit. So I think what so many of us have never really considered is that what we love here on earth will actually be present in heaven, but with so much more to explore and to experience. Look at this in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3. It says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Here in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah has a vision of heaven. And he heard the angels crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Look at those last verses. The whole earth is full of his glory, God's glory. See, when we see all the beauty here on earth, when we see all the wonder of creation here on earth, it actually points to the beauty and the wonder of our creator. The whole earth is full of his glory. And so if the whole earth is full of God's glory, then why would we ever think that heaven, God's kingdom, God's world where God's will is fully done and where his glory is fully reflected, why would we ever think that heaven is less real, less tangible, less beautiful, less magnificent, less amazing than here on earth? Listen, everybody, earth is the wounded marred creation. Heaven is creation as it was meant to be. The Apostle Paul explains it this way in Romans 8, verse 19. He says, For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning, as in pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. See, the beauty of earth and all we enjoy here, it actually points towards heaven. 
But as beautiful and as amazing as earth is, this earth is far from perfect. This earth labors under famine and disease and decay and death and all sorts of destruction. This is not the place for us to live forever. But there is a place for us that's more real, more beautiful, more alive, more amazing than anything that you've ever experienced here on earth. Over the last two weeks, we've looked at interviews from a guy by the name of Don Piper and a lady by the name of Dr. Mary Neal. Don's car was crushed by an 18-wheeler, and he was pronounced dead for 90 minutes. Dr. Mary Neal's kayak got lodged under a waterfall, and she was dead for 30 minutes. They both had these near-death experiences. So I want you to listen to how they describe the beauty of what they experience in that near-death experience. I want you to listen to how they describe this. Watch this. So take us back to that day. You saw the 18-wheeler come. What was the next memory you had? Well, I took my last breath on the bridge, and I was, uh, my next breath was at one of the 12 gates of heaven. I'm looking through the gates. I'm looking down the street. There is a river that flows from this, this throne or this hill that's high and lifted up, and I know that's the river of life because we're told that it flows from the throne of God. So Uh, Many of the things that we know and enjoy and love here uh, are visible there as well. Um, I would say this, and and, um, heaven's never going to be less than this. It's always going to be more. In heaven, it's all big. I mean, it it so far transcends any words that we can happen, that we could come up with here. If you want to talk about uh, uh, meadows and flowers and beauty and if you want to talk about Did trees. Did you see that? Oh, yes. They're just magnificent, except that they are so brilliant and so vivid as to really dis- defy description. So you live in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, one of the most beautiful places on earth. How did that compare to the, this beautiful path leading to heaven? One of the problems that I and most people had when they came back from a near-death experience is that even the most intense beauty here on earth, even the most intense love here on earth is very, very pale in comparison to the intensity of the love and to the intensity of the beauty in God's world. Everything was far more intense. The colors were beyond anything we could ever experience here. Now think about that. More real, (laughs) more alive not less than anything that we experienced here on earth. In Hebrews chapter 11, it lists people who were truly successful in God's eyes. In verse 13, it says, All these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for a country they came from, they would have gone back. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. People who've had these near-death experiences describe having seen this land, this paradise, this city. There's an interesting book called Mindsight, which is written by Dr. Kenneth Ring and Dr. Sharon Cooper. And in this book, they describe the results of studying 21 blind people who had near-death experiences. And they postulated that 
Blind people who have near-death experiences have a kind of vision that they coined mind sight, which is this visual perception that goes beyond normal vision. And one of the examples that they use in their book is a guy by the name of Brad Barrows. And uh, Brad was blind from birth. But when he was eight years old, he had a near-death experience. And for the first time, he could see colors as he looked at his lifeless body. And then he entered this tunnel. Listen to how he describes this. He said, I began to wonder if this was darkness. There was no color whatsoever. But coming into a large field, the closest I could tell you about color was that the brightness and the brilliance of that whole area was absolutely indescribable. I could not distinguish fine shades of color for some reason. It's possible that I could have, but I had no vocabulary to describe it. I felt as if I might be entering another realm altogether, an unexplained dimension that I had very little understanding of. Do you see, do you see he's, he's grappling with trying to put words to what he saw because he had never seen before. He had been blind his entire life. And then he finds himself in this immense field stretching out before him that seems to go for miles and miles and miles. And he begins to notice huge palm trees with enormous leaves and very tall grass as well. And he said, I was walking up this field. It seemed that it's as if it was so ex exhilarated and so unbelievably renewed that I didn't want to leave. I wanted to stay forever where I was. There's no way that I could describe the peace and the tranquility. The weather was absolutely perfect in terms of temperature and humidity. It was so fresh, so unbelievably fresh that mountain air on earth could not even come close. There was tremendous light up there. It seemed to come from every direction. It was all around and everywhere that I happened to be looking. It seemed like everything, even the grass I had been stepping on, seemed to soak in that light. It seemed like the light could actually penetrate through everything, even the leaves on the trees. There was no shade. There was no need for shade. The light was actually all-encompassing. Yet I wondered how I could know that because I had never seen before that point. I felt like I wouldn't understand it had it happened on earth, but where I was, I was able to accept it almost immediately. So think about what Brad saw. All light everywhere, trees and grass and fields and palm trees. See, what people describe who've had these near-death experiences is not totally different than the beauty that we see here on earth, but it's so much more alive with light and color and love that comes from God. And if you've never really read all the way through your Bible, then I'm going to show you that this actually is exactly how the Bible describes heaven. Listen to what the Apostle John describes seeing as he wrote in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 says, After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. And they were shouting with a great roar, salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. Chapter 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. 
I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. And then in chapter 22, verse 1, it says, The angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. No longer will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and his servants will worship him. And they will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads. And there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them." See what Brad and others who've had these near-death experiences have claimed to see is exactly what the Bible describes. Light everywhere, these beautiful places of mountains and valleys and streams and trees and beauty rivaling the most amazing places here on earth. And as Brad describes, as he approached the city in heaven, he became aware of thousands of voices singing. He said, I remember thinking, that the voices seemed to be singing in a language I'd never understood, or maybe many, many languages. The music I heard was nothing like anything I have ever experienced on earth, nor have I ever experienced. By this time, I was getting closer to the music and being absolutely uh, uh, fascinated by it. I wanted to join in with the music. It was absolutely precious. Within a very short amount of time, I had no idea how much time had actually elapsed, but as I was going up the hill, I came to a large stone structure. I could tell that it was stone without even touching it. They were almost like gemstones. They seemed to literally shine with their own particular light. Yet the light itself was actually penetrating right through the stones. Now, again, I want you to remember, Brad's blind. He's never, ever seen anything before, but yet he's describing light light coming from that great wall and the beauty surrounding the city that the Apostle John wrote about. Dale Black is another person who had a near-death experience. Dale is a TWA pilot who's flown more than 17,000 hours around the globe. But Dale had a horrific plane crash that left everyone dead, including himself. He had a near-death experience, and while he was dead, he flew over this city of God. He saw it. I want you to listen to how Dale and also Dr. Neal and Don Piper describe heaven. Watch this. So in, in your book, you describe flying into, is it the New Jerusalem? What is it? And, and describe the beauty and what you saw. I get this incredible uh, airborne view, a descending, slowing down airborne view of the city of gold, and it's city, it's a city that's walled. Over the city were majestic mountains that were as gorgeous as any that could be ever seen. However, they did not look that different than earth. I wasn't disappointed by that, I'm not saying that. I noticed snow, so think about that. Snow, what does that mean? Atmosphere, temperature, snow, what's that all about? I noticed flying birds later. What does that mean? Uh, these are the kind of questions I ask. Yeah. Okay, if a bird is to fly, it can't be a vacuum. I'm hearing music. What does that mean? Music can't transfer in a vacuum. It has to be in an atmosphere. There's atmosphere here in heaven. Oh, what does that mean? 
That and you're flying, but you don't have wings. Right. I'm floating is what I would call it. I'm floating and coming in, descending. And finally, I come down and touch ground level for a while. And I'm hovering between 40 feet-ish and down. And, uh, but I, I recognize later, oh, there was gravity there. There is gravity. There is atmosphere. There's water. There are animals. Inside the city, I, I could see, uh, we'll start from foreground to back, if you like. Uh, I could see the townships, as I called them, homes that people lived in, homes that were likely to be created for the people of heaven. Interestingly enough, they struck me by not so much the size as the architecture. I know nothing about architecture mm. at all. I still don't. But uh, I recognize that there was something divine about the architecture of the buildings. There were small, what we would call like uh, condos here. There were single family residences that we would call here. There were huge palaces. And I could see that, but and this like, is all inside the wall? On the other around. side of the wall. I saw none of this. And how big is this city? I mean, can you tell? I could not tell other than it was beyond the horizon both directions. There's countryside inside. So that it's, a, it's gorgeous, beautiful, all of the adjectives times a thousand. So coming up to this dome structure, maybe was it a city? Could you tell? Was there something inside? Well, was there an entrance into it? There was an entrance. It was a big arched entrance and a wide threshold. What did that look like, that entrance? Well, similarly, it was almost like the old Roman block arches. But again, these blocks were uh, seemingly solid looking, but not. They were really woven together with love, which is nonsensical. Uh, but but you were aware of a structure yes, and art? Yes, it seemed structural to me. And was there, and you know, the gate of heaven or a it gate? It wasn't, well, I don't, there wasn't a gate. When it was gate. just an archway. Yeah. And I would say again that if I had any inclination that I was coming back, I would have tried to make more mental notes because many of the questions are the same questions that I ask myself now. And I will say that I was able to see many, again, people, angels, spirits, I'm not sure, very busy. And I don't know what they were doing. Inside the Inside, they were all very busy. <laughs> I don't know what they were doing, but they were doing something and clearly doing God's work. Well, the gate is quite large. Um, uh, the, the, the gate itself, the entrance is small. Um, and the wall is very thick, but you can actually see through it. So I'm looking over these people and I can see through it. And there, there appears to be a, this massive boulevard that really kind of bisects the city and it is made of gold. But gold that is so pure, you can see through it. It's, it's, what do you mean? Well, you can actually see through the gold. It's gold and it's visible and tangible, but it is it is pure. Now we can't imagine that here because gold on earth is one of the densest metals we have. But in heaven, it's so pure you can see through it. So you can see under it. You can see 
even the roots of trees and things like that. There are trees there. In fact, the tree of life is there mm -hmm. uh, that we were not able to eat of here. We can eat of it. So it, it's just a, it's just an, an incredibly awesome, overwhelming, bustling place. It's not a boring place. There aren't any cherubs sitting around on clouds playing harps. This is an active, exciting, thrilling place. And at this magnificent gate, a very large uh, uh, wall, a uh, very thick wall, and, uh, but it could, there's a gate and it looks like the inside of an oyster. It's a, it's a gate made of pearl. Uh, really quite dazzling, very br brilliant, very beautiful. It almost looks like it's pulsating with life, except I, I know it's the light reflecting off the gate that make it, makes it look that way. The arch and the tunnel was the same substance. It was not stone, but it was in the stone. But what was the substance? It, the substance was pearl. It, it looked like liquefied pearl. And when the light from the throne room, that's the only light that there is, emanated through, it just bounces off the pearl. There's no shadows and there's no darkness at all. And there's no need for unnatural or artificial light. Mm. And it's, it is a, a sight to behold and welcomed me to go through it, but I, I couldn't go through it at that time. In Revelation 21, verse 9, the Apostle John wrote, Then one of the seven angels who held the seven bowls containing the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come with me, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. So he took me in the spirit to a great high mountain, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and sparkled like precious stone, like jasper, as clear as crystal. The city wall was broad and high with 12 gates guarded by 12 angels. And the names of the 12 tribes of Israel were written on the gates. There were three gates on each side, east, north, south, and west. The wall of the city had 12 foundation stones and on them were written the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me held in his hand a gold measuring stick to measure the city, its gates and its walls. When he measured it, he found it was a square as wide as it was long. In fact, its length and width and height were each 1,400 miles. Then he measured the walls and found them to be 216 feet thick, according to the human standard used by the angel. The wall was made of jasper, and the city was pure gold as clear as glass. The wall of the city was built on foundation stones inlaid with 12 precious stones. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were made of pearls, each gate from a single pearl. And the main street was pure gold, as clear as glass. I saw no temple in the city, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city, and the Lamb is its light. Now think about this, because... What the Apostle Paul is grappling for words to describe in what he was shown in heaven is what others who've had these near-death experiences all similarly describe from these different viewpoints. They're all seeing the same thing, but from different vantage points with slightly different details. But they're all describing the heavenly beauty surrounding the city of God. And so I want you to imagine this. Imagine heaven. 
Imagine how fun and how adventurous and how exhilarating it's going to be to explore God's creation in all of these new dimensions. Now, one last thing before we finish here today. Because last week we talked about how heaven is all about relationships. And when you turn and put your faith and trust and hope in Jesus, we have these relationships then forever. Forever. Heaven's about relationships. But I noticed something in our small groups this past week because a lot of you were asking about your pets. Will our pets be in heaven with us? Some of you, I think, are more interested in whether or not your pets are going to be in heaven with you rather than whether your family members and your friends are going to be in heaven with you. I'm not really sure to say what to say about that, but will animals be there in heaven? Well, the prophet Isaiah, he tells us this in Isaiah 11, verse 6. In that day, the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion, and the little child will lead them all. The cow will graze near the bear. The cub and the calf will lie down together. The lion will eat hay like a cow. The, ba the baby will play safely near the hole of a cobra. Yes, a little child will put its hand in a nest of deadly snakes without harm. Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for as the waters fill the sea, so the earth will be filled with people who know the Lord. And so it seems pretty clear to me that animals are going to be in heaven too. Now, as fun as that topic is, I'm sure for some of you, the really important thing that I want you to see about all of this is that heaven is all about God making all things new. It's about returning to the Garden of Eden. It's about stepping into the harmony and the beauty of creation that God intended right from the beginning of all of this. And it's all possible because of Jesus. Jesus came to pay the price to lead us back to God and into this harmony with creation. Look at the very next verses here in Isaiah chapter 11. Because right here after Isaiah paints this picture of heaven's harmony coming together in all of creation, look at what Isaiah prophesies in verse 10. He says, in that day, the heir to David's throne, and so that's the Messiah, the heir to David's throne, will be a banner of salvation to all the world. This is what Jesus came to do. He came to bring us salvation, to bring you, to bring me into salvation, which is the reason why God's so persistent in your life. He wants you to experience salvation. He wants you to be with him for all of eternity. The nations will rally to him, and the land where he lives will be a glorious place. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to bring back the remnant of his people, those who remain in Assyria and northern Egypt, and southern Egypt, Ethiopia, and Elam, and Babylonia, Hamath, and all the distant coastlands. He'll raise a flag among the nations and assemble the exiles of Israel. He will gather the scattered people of Judah from the ends of the earth. Now, I want you to stop and think about what the prophet Isaiah is prophesying here. This is a prophecy that goes all the way back to 740 B.C. And I want you to think about this because the God who promises heaven's beauty the God who promises creation's harmony, the God who promises the redemption of every single one of us, the God who promises to send us this Messiah who will save us so that we can spend eternity with God is the same God who promised to bring the Hebrew people back together in their homeland of Israel. And listen, everybody, in 1948, that's exactly what happened. Before 1948, Israel wasn't a nation. 
Israel hadn't been a nation since 70 AD when Jesus prophesied that the Jewish people would be scattered to the nations of the world. But yet in 1948, miraculously, Jewish people from all over the globe returned and Israel became a nation overnight. Nothing like this has ever happened in the history of our world. Please listen to this. God did this as a very clear, tangible, historical, verifiable sign to show us that he is real and that heaven is real and that he wants us to seek him. He wants you to seek him and he wants you to come home. Listen, everybody, heaven is going to be an absolutely amazing place and we have so much to look forward to. I want to pray for you right here, right now. And so wherever you are, would you just stop what you're doing? Maybe even close your eyes where you're, wherever you are, maybe in that room or in that chair. Would you just stop and just close your eyes here? Because I want to pray for you here. Because I know that for so many of us, these past four months have completely disrupted almost everything in our lives. And when there's a shaking that happens in our lives, it can leave us completely disoriented. But in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, the apostle Paul was encouraging Timothy, and he, and he said this. He said, for this reason, even though I suffer as I do, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. I know in whom I have believed. I know in whom I have believed. In other words, Paul had an anchor to his soul, an anchor that was rooted in a relationship with Jesus and the promise of heaven. When your eternity is settled, even when your world is being turned upside down, there can be a steadiness to your life, an anchor to your soul. And so are you really seeking God? Do you realize that Jesus made a way for you to be forgiven and welcomed home? Are you living for God? Are you living your life for the only beauty, the only country that will last forever? Maybe if you were honest with yourself, maybe you're, you're just saying, you know, I've lost that eternal perspective. I've lost the eternal perspective of even God's faithfulness to me. I've lost that eternal perspective that this world is not my home, but that heaven is my home. I want to pray for you right now. And so, Father, I pray for every person who's hearing my voice right now. Father, you said that you put eternity into our hearts. Lord, I pray that a, that bit of eternity that you've set in every single one of our hearts would begin to stir. And whatever else is happening right here in this moment, that eternity would begin to overshadow that. That our relationship with Jesus and, and the hope and the promise of heaven for tomorrow would steady the shakiness in our life, the uncertainty about what's going on around us. And Lord, it would give us a joy of what we're looking forward to, that where you are preparing a place that's beyond what we could ever ask, hope, or imagine, that, that it, is a, it is an amazing place and we're looking forward to being home. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters here today. Father, that you would stir in them that eternal perspective and that you would ground them in your love here today, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you've never really committed yourself wholly, wholeheartedly to Jesus, 
I want to step into that journey with you. If you're making that decision for the first time or maybe the first time in a long time, we want to join you in that. We were never intended to do this by ourselves. There's a link right there in your chat. And if you just click on that link, it'll give you the next steps of how to do this. And we want to join in on that. And by the way, everybody, whatever you're going through, you don't have to do it by yourself. Please know that all the staff at our One Chapel Lake Travis and um, Liberty Hill and Kyle and Austin campuses are here for you. We want to step into this journey with you. We love you. Let me just speak this blessing over you as we finish. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Go in peace, everybody. God bless you. Have a great day.